I'm Joe Vollert, and welcome to Who Needs School, a podcast which explores the future of education through conversations with educators, innovators, business leaders, and citizens about something we all do, school. Our guest today is Dr. Sam Yen, the head of digital transformation for the commercial real estate group at J.P. Morgan Chase in San Francisco Bay Area, and is a Bay Area thought leader in design thinking. He has a Stanford PhD in design theory and methodology and a mechanical and aerospace engineering degree from Cornell. He co-founded a software startup and spent 13 years at SAP as their chief design officer and the managing director of SAP's Silicon Valley campuses. He returned to Stanford as a D-School fellow where he focused on scaling design thinking to large-scale organizations and later was a consulting associate professor for Stanford's D School and the Graduate School of Business. Doctor, welcome. Thank you so much for joining uh, the podcast, Who Needs School? One of the first things I, I, I'm curious about before we get into talking about education in school is uh, digital transformation at um, J.P. Morgan Chase. What's digital transformation have to do with commercial real estate? Can you flesh that out a little bit? Yeah, I mean, digital, tra it's, it's just the terminology where, you know, you're introducing more technology into the experience for your customers, right? So you could relate this in your personal life, you know, way back when. You, do you remember actually going to a Tower Records and buying music and things like that? And, and Apple changed all that by providing a digital experience for you to, you know, browse through music, purchase music and all that stuff. And over the years, that's transformed into a lot of different industries. Some things were more on the forefront, you know, like I mentioned, Tower Records or, you know, nowadays it's things like Uber or Airbnb. Digital tr technologies transforming the experience of how you um, hail a cab or to uh, rent or rent a place for a vacation. And it filters its way into business as well. So there are, you know, the, the industries that are on the leading edge, some of the things that I talked about, and some things which are laggards. And real estate is something which, you know, even 10 years ago, you'd be able to go to Zillow and type in an address and, you know, get a sense of what your, what your property might be worth. And that was like 10, 15 years ago. Commercial real estate, which is, you know, bigger industrial buildings or apartments that have more units, though that's even lagging, right? You know, 10, 15 years later, there's no Zillow for commercial real estate. So the opportunity is how can we bring technology um, to provide better experiences for people in that business, in the, in the business of commercial real estate? Oh, gotcha. Very interesting. Well, I have to ask you while we have the chance, just about commercial real estate. So we're talking in the end of February, 2021, the heels of pandemic. You got to be thinking about what the future of, of commercial real estate is going to be like. I mean, people that own uh, businesses that have rented three fours are thinking, I, I could just rent one. Why not save some money? What what, what do you yeah. see coming? Yeah, I, I think some of the things, you know, the flight out of the cities, you got to think that that's going to be more short term. People are drawn to cities for being with people, being able to interact with people, you know, having a, a social life and those types of things, right? So, you know, I, I just look back at China and, and Asia, right? You know, they've had to suffer through SARS, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And everybody didn't flee away from the cities. Things got back to normal. It took a little bit of time. So I, I think that's going to be the same thing here. Yeah, that's the march of human history, right? Around urban centers. Yeah. Good. Oh, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. <laughs> hey, so I hope that as we as we chat, you, you weave through some of the, the experience you had at, at Stanford's D School, because I think that's going to be you know a real important piece. But 
just to get us started, can walk us through your 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 school experience? Like, what was that like for you? And and you know, kind of walk us through that. Yeah, uh, you know, I grew up in San Francisco, Catholic education for for a lot of that, and went to St. Brendan's for my elementary school. SI had a great experience at SI. I did everything that I could at SI, right? I, I took the classes that I could, but also played as many sports as I could. Uh, I, I did drama. I did, I did a bunch of stuff there. I went on to uh, Cornell. I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> and I studied aerospace engineering, did my master's in aerospace at Stanford, and ended up doing a PhD. I switched over into mechanical engineering. There was a program uh, called uh, Design Theory and Methodology. This was you know, pre-design thinking, pre-D-school days, but it was really founded by the same people that taught design at mechanical engineering. So that was my degree there. Gotcha. And what about your education? And I distinguish that because, you know, schools of building and, you know, kind of a process you go through. What were the things that really formed you into kind of getting you where you are today? Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you made a distinction between what my schooling was versus what my education was, because I think it's really different. Schools and really do a good job in, in what they're, I think, supposed to do, or at least what they were designed to do back back in the day, uh, which is really teach you the academic aspects of you know your education. But you know, I've realized going forward and looking a little bit as my career has advanced, each part of your education takes you to the next step. But once you advance in your career, you use or you depend on less and less of the hard academic things that you learned in school. And, and you depend more upon the experiences that you gain along the way. For example, right, St. Ignatius, the name is a college prep, right? But when I look back at my experience at SI, I, I, I gained so many more skills, life skills that helped me advance much more in my career by doing other things outside of just the academics, by playing the sports, by, by, by doing the extracurricular things that were offered at SI. You know, I, I look at things like, you know, the, you know, working really hard, you know, together, not just as an individual, but with other people, you know, the teamwork aspects of it, leadership, communications, building up confidence, building up self-awareness, knowing that you have faults and you have to kind of improve upon things, right? Those are all things that you don't necessarily learn in a classroom. Those are things that you learn in the other things, you know, sports was really heavy for me. So those are the things I think that, you know, really kind of distinguish you go um, further in your career. The other aspect is, you know, like real life examples, right? You know, so academics really need to be applied, right? And unless you're going to be a professor, right? In most jobs that you do, whether you do a startup job, whether you work for a large organization, you need to be able to understand how do you take the things you learn in school and apply it to real world, world situations. So I look at things like, you know, now in, in college and in grad school, project-based learning classes, where you would actually work on a real world problems, sometimes sponsored by, you know, working hand in hand with industry, even if you're in school. Hmm. Those hmm. were great learning experiences, right? Because you could actually apply the, the theory and, and see and, and really make a difference in terms of applying it to a real world situation. I, I did a startup company as well, right after school. And I was, I, you know, I was, ta I was talking about, yeah, yeah I, I did so much education in my life, the PhD and all that stuff, but I learned more in those five years that I did a startup. Hmm. Right. I founded a startup company from scratch, right, you know, together with a co-founder. But yeah, those I look at those lessons learned and I, I, I go back to those every single day. Right. I, I learned the confidence that, you know, even though I didn't have the practical experience, I had enough confidence in myself because I was able to do it in a startup. Right. It was a sink or swim situation. And, you know, everybody was looking to you. You know, you, you had to lead them even if you didn't have the experience and you had to learn along the way. 
And you just had to learn that you had the confidence in yourself that you're going to be able to figure it out no matter what the challenge is. So those start, you know, that startup experience, real world life experience, project-based classes, those were the things, you know, that I look back on, which, which helped me in terms of my quote unquote education. Yeah, good. That's, that's a, a great distinction. Did you sink or swim? I have to ask with the uh, software company. You know, you know, I, I think in most cases I was able to swim the, the company at the end of the day, I like to say that we got our investors some of their money back, but not all of their money back. So like ultimately, <laughs> that's how you look at it, right? The company, you know, sank, but the lessons learned from that, you know, really carry me everything that yeah, I do today. Very valuable. So one of the things I, I wonder about, and as you know, I'm a, I'm a high school hack at heart, right? And I think that's just such, such formative years. Those educational experiences you talk about, is that, is that something that's age distinctive or age appropriate? Like, do you need to have this skill and drill hammered into you at a grammar school and high school le level in order to be able to perform like that and do those kinds of things at a, at a collegiate level? Or is that something that can be happening along the way? And just, just as a point of example, Montessori schools are very hands-on, right? Kind of in the Dewey model of education. But they don't really work after sixth grade. You know, they're kind of a K through five and they work there. People have tried them beyond that and it, it, it just doesn't work. And really not a lot has changed from uh, six to 12. So I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what's the term? It's necessary, uh, but not sufficient, right? I think you need the academic stuff that you learn in school. That's That's necessary. And, you know, I, I'm a pragmatist, right? You know, I, you, you could say we should change the entire schooling system, right? Okay, well, you may be, but, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. So it's necessary to prove yourself to get to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. But again, it's not sufficient. One of the reasons uh, I'm so drawn to, you know, design thinking the, the, the term is because the way, you know, David Kelly, who is credited with coining the term and the methodology, you know, he refers to it as creative confidence, right? If you think about, you know, your young kids, everybody, you know, if you ask, you know, kids you know, in, at the kindergarten age or first grade age, you know, how many people think you're creative people? Like everybody raises their hand, right? And then it's really sad by the time, you know, you get to our levels and you're asking like a room full of, you know, senior educators or executives, you know, how many people feel you're creative people? Like nobody puts their hands up. Mm -hmm. What happens, right? And, and there's a theory that, you know, education actually educates the creativity out of us. Right? Gotcha. We, we, we learn how to do things in a certain way and we're discouraged from exploring and discovering and, and those types of things. So yeah, it's that factory model that we could just replicate year over year, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's the way that I like to think about it is you learn how to solve problems um, in your education, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, here's the problem, you know, here's the problem set, you know, give us all the answers of how you, and show us how you solve those problems. And that's good. And, and, and that takes you, that, that actually takes you a long way kind of in, in your career. But I think the more impactful question to ask sometimes is, am I solving the right problem? Hmm. Right. And, and sometimes, you know, just finding the, you know, a, a different way to solve this, the problem of yesterday isn't what's necessary, especially when you're, when you're trying to face, you know, big challenges of today, right. You know, how do we solve homelessness? How do we solve the climate issues? Right. You have to ask mm -hmm. different types of questions. And I think that's where design really was a light for me because it shifted you know, education from solving problems and how do you solve problems to finding the right problem that's worth solving. Hmm. And, and I think that's a, that's a real big distinction. Like when people think of creativity and, and your confidence in your creativity, it's not necessarily just coming up with big ideas and you know, big solutions to problems. You know, I think the first step is 
what's the right problem to solve, right? There's that famous Einstein quote, right? And where, where he says, you know, if I had, you know, you know, 10 minutes to, you know, um, to save the world or something like that, he's, I'm, I'm butchering this quote, but he said, I'd, I'd, I'd find that, you know, I'd, I'd first, you know, spend the first nine minutes figuring out which problem I'm trying to solve. <laughs> gotcha. And that was one of the insights, you know, when I really got some exposure to design thinking that really stuck with me. It was, it's like the scientific method, but scientific method is trying to prove a theory in a methodical fashion. Design thinking is trying to help with a pain point in the, in the, in, you know, in the personal experience, in the, you know, in the emotional and the customer experience, if you will, in the business. And that's what I wonder about yeah. with education. If we do a deep dive into that, you know, the student experience, especially as technology allows us to uh, customize the, the, edu the, the, the learning, you know, the lessons, if you will, how do we design experiences that really, you know, engender deep critical thinking? I don't know if you've ever thought of like, how, the, the, like, the, how do you do that at school? Yeah. I, the, look, there's so many dimensions of how you apply like design principles to redesigning school experiences. Right. The first topic, which was what I was trying to say is, you know, just you don't really get it in education until you do a PhD, because in, in a PhD, you're actually required to define your own topic. Right. And, and that's where you find the problem to solve. And I, and I think that's just a really valuable skill that most people don't get in their education. Right. So hmm. you know, making sure that that concept of, you know, sometimes you don't know the problem to solve and sometimes you have to go through a process to figure out the right problem to solve. That's something I wish was taught you know, very early, right? Because there's no reason why you have to wait until you get a PhD. And how many people get mm -hmm. PhD to, right. to do that, right? And you're asked, and, and if you really need to innovate, that's what actually has to happen, you know, you know, asking the right question in the first place. Now, now, how do you apply design thinking in terms of improving the, the teaching experience? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you could apply, design is, is a great way, as, as you mentioned, just to kind of figure out what's working and what's not working by really kind of taking it from the perspective of who's provided the service, the experience of who's, you know, right? So you could take it from the teacher's perspective. You could, teach it, you, could, you could take it from the student's perspective, or you could take it from industry's perspective, right? You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're sending off graduates, you know, whether it's from high school, whether it's from college or grad school into industry. And it's a great way just to kind of do a sanity check. You know, are we teaching the right things? Are, 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 are people prepared when they enter industry with the experiences to really survive and thrive uh, once they get into industry? And so you've probably answered some of this already, but this is, you know, one of the, the driving questions that I want to get to, you know, knowing what you know and doing what you do, what should we, you know, we be doing? What should a high school be doing now and in the next 10 years to prepare productive citizens healthy people to, to do what, what you see as the uh, work of the future. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go back to the previous answer a little bit, right? So, so the first one is, you know, arm students with the ability to, and when things aren't super clear, to be able to have the methodology and the skills and the tools, the tool set, the skill set to be able to define what's important and what's not, you know, yeah, this be is comfortable the real, with that. Yeah. Right. And be comfortable in that, you know, you're going through this ambiguity, right. To, to figure out, okay. And, and you have, and it's something that can be taught, right. You, you can have some frameworks to determine, Hey, this is more impactful than this. This matters more than this. And you go through that until you figure out, okay, this is the, the problem that's worth solving. And then you go through that. So, so I think that's, that's the, the first area I think is really, really important. The second thing is, you know, something that's really changed a lot since, you know, I went to high school and even college versus today where being aware, socially aware of, you know, your context 
and knowing that kind of not everybody has, you know, comes from the same background. That's really important these days, right? And, and I think, and, and I'm actually inspired by students, you know, even at the high school level, certainly at the college level these days, where everybody has much more of a social awareness, where they they want to do, you know, good not only for themselves, uh, but they also kind of understand that, you know, there there needs to be some sort of social impact in terms of what they're doing as well. And, and I think I think SI does that, you know, very well today. But certainly, you know, that that seems to be more heightened today than, than yeah. certainly when I went to school. That's been the, that's been the great social good of schools over you know uh, the last couple couple hundred years, is that it's provided a place for for uh, people to socialize, right? To be have that shared experience, and has helped you know, and it's been obviously replicated around the world, and 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 how public education has evolved, yeah. right? Hey. Um, yeah, I, I- Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go, go ahead. There, there was there was just a third point that you know it's just it's it's on my minds and it seems to be you know again I, I don't interact with high school students as much as I interact with you know folks that are in college and and, and grad school but you know again this awareness of everything that we're doing also has an impact not only on the people around us but the environment around us as well so I, I think just, you know just the notion that you know there, there's there's an opportunity where everything that we do can have a, a net good. There's innovation opportunities that have, you know, good environmental impacts as well. You know, in, in my area, real estate, for example, you know, there's an opportunity not only to do your job, but in doing your job, if you do it in a certain way, you could also help, you know, look at kind of environmental issues as well. You know, you know, buildings are like the second biggest polluters, you know, after the um, transportation industry, for example. So I, I think just being aware of those things and it's it's not enough just to think about yourself anymore. It's looking at the society around you and also the environment around you. Uh, a couple last things. One, um, always like to give folks a chance to ask me any questions. If you it, you know turn the table a little bit. Yeah. No. I, I think like what's been once what's been the biggest challenges you think because some of these things that that I've I think I've talked about you've had some experience with you know with your executive education and things like that what's been the biggest challenge in actually implementing that in the existing school structures and school systems I you know I think w- one of the biggest challenges is a couple of the biggest challenges are just the assumptions we've made over decades and decades and decades it's the in in the system and what I say that recognizing it would be very difficult to to move some of those but I, unless we start to challenge some of those assumptions I think we really missed an opportunity to offer a valuable experience for our citizens. And those assumptions are like our calendar. So school is, you know, we think of school as September to June, right? So we're, it's an agrarian calendar. If we pull that assumption off the table, if we pull the time, uh, nine o'clock to three, whatever the school day is, that's a big assumption. Does that mean that learning only happens between nine and three? If we look at the school experience as a springboard to learning, it challenges that time assumption. The other uh, assumption I think, and this is maybe specific to California, but I suspect it's not, is that our curriculum is already designed for us by the UC requirements. Now, there's been some benefit to that over the decades, right? It prepares uh, students for college in, in at least half our population or thereabouts, but we're stuck. Like if, if we were to design the high school experience from ninth to 12th grade, that age group, and, and asked ourselves, what do they really need to know to, to you know, be successful in life and to be prepared for whatever's next for them, work or school? What would we do? How would we design that? That's really difficult when the curriculum is already you know, predetermined for you. And it's pretty much the same as it's been 
you know, for the last, you know, decades, if you walked into a high school English class, it materially would be that different today. Sciences, and I think that's, you know, we're struggle with trying to keep abreast of science and we're going to have to figure that out because the knowledge in scientific fields has increased so much. We have to accelerate that learning in, in, at the high school level, I think, to prepare them to, to keep advancing us in science. So I think those are some of the, the challenges yeah, hey, hey. I see. Okay, last question. Uh, what? Sure. How about something to read that you would recommend? If you're, if you're going to talk to a high school age student, what would you recommend that they read to really get the, their wheels turning for what lies ahead for them? Oh, wow. Okay, I, I, I'll give you two answers here. Because I talked about creative confidence, David uh-huh. Kelly's book, I, I just recommend that, right? It's just, it's really easy read, but it kind of shows you, it, it's just... You read that it seems like so much common sense, but it's there's nothing common about it in, in, in the sense that you know you're looking at that and it's like oh my god you know it's you you look at the lens you look at the world through a different lens after the, after that book, and then the second book I'm going to go back to a book that was assigned to me at SI right and it was a book called The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe. Oh yeah, and it has nothing to do with you know career journeys or anything like that, but like. You know, I read that book and it was just like so inspiring in terms of just the, the passion of the early astronauts in order to kind of do this impossible. I mean, that was the original moonshot, right? You know, we, we yeah. talk about moonshots right now. So that was just a book that's always inspired. And you me. wanted to be an astronaut. And I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Hey, Sam, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We'll get you back uh, somewhere down the line and, and keep uh, picking your brain. Thank you so much. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you.